McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 175. Well, the transfer window slams shut as the Blues make four additions, but are you happy with those choices? Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Not too bad, thank you, bud. Yeah, uh, classic uh, transfer window slamming shut. Um, I was spending the evening with someone supporting Wiccan Wanderers who uh, were complaining a hell of a lot more than me because... They haven't really brought anyone in and uh, they're arguably their best player has gone to Bristol City. So our transfer window could have been worse. That's always nice, isn't it? When you spend the evening with somebody else in League One who's having a worse transfer window than you, you really brightens your day up. It grounded me. It, it did ground me. I mean, the league table, I'm just ignoring that. If we're basing it purely off transfer activity, I think Pompey had the better month. It's like playing a video game, isn't it? And being more interested in the building of the team than the actual results that you play against other players. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. It's all relative. Uh, hopefully, the next two and a half months, three months, we'll climb above them in the league table. Last day of the season, pipping them into the playoffs and we'll have the full house of success, hey? A small thing, really. But um, after you told everyone I was sick last week when I was actually just working all night, I got umpteen messages from people wishing me well. So thank you for everybody who wish me well and a, and a nice recovery and mentioned it but I actually wasn't uh, sick I was just working yeah I, got, I messed that up I didn't think you'd want it broadcast that you were actually miserable stressed and and, and pretty aggy so I just said you were under the weather but uh yeah to be fair the rest of us were Fred was unwell I was sick Hancock basically carried us for the for the hour or so of recording while Fred and I muted and coughed and spluttered and tried to get through no it's decent I just thought I'd mention the people who are also backing away from me at the away game in case I got them all sick pointing out I wasn't ill <laughs> talk about the away game Freddie Webb was there with me how are you Freddie? I am not so bad Hugh thank you yeah it was nice to see you and your dad at Peterborough nice to go for a few beers in a lovely pub on a boat as well which was nice um, the football wasn't so nice and I think the Freddie curse is continuing because obviously I didn't go to the two games where Pompey won and as soon as I go back to one we lose so there we are well I, I might that throwing away of the season ticket might have to happen if Pompey had to get in the playoffs to be honest Yorkshire men out as I say of the fratten end <laughs> uh, if you if you say so <laughs> I think that'd be quite a popular opinion with some people I've seen standing and sitting around me, some of the stuff they've said. Anyone who lives north of Fratton or anyone who lives north of what? I don't know. Cosham? <laughs> just, just get them out. 
get them out. Well, they must hate me then, surely. Oh, yeah. Well, we know you're not popular with the Northerners or the Southerners, Fred, because you're you're not really a true version of either, apparently, according no, to uh, some of the heckling I've heard. I mean, we love, we love you anyway, you. Freddie. We, we love, love you, you anyway. Fred. We do. Oh, I mean, it, in that cheers, case, guys. all of us wouldn't be allowed to go to Fratton Park. So um, might as well fold the podcast with that opinion <laughs> is, the, is the majority. But all right, let's just get into what we're doing today. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Peterborough. Following from that, we are going to talk about the transfer window slamming shut. We put a question out to you guys saying a very simple question this week. What do you think of it? What are your opinions? And thanks to everyone who messaged in. Really appreciate it as always. Makes the show and we'll go through your comments then. And then we spoke to Ian from Tyke's blog to preview the game on Saturday against Barnsley. He lent this time very kindly just before the kickoff against Oxford. So we'll see how that game goes as well and what implications that has. But And then, of course, we'll give our score predictions to round off the episode. So let's get stuck into it. Peterborough. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because after the two wins under John Martinio, we were thinking, okay, a point would probably be quite a good result against Peterborough away from home. Keep that unbeaten run going, but it wasn't to be. Pompey started off quite slowly in this game as well. It was pretty worrying from the start. And Freddie, it could have been more than 2-0, couldn't it? Let's be honest as we go into the break. Yeah, it was quite <clears throat> lethargic from Portsmouth to start with. I thought Peterborough pretty much controlled the first 45 minutes. They set up really well. They had Taylor and Cipriano in the double pivots and they were able to just <clears throat> reset the play constantly and play some through passes to Kwame Poku, Efren, Mason, Clark. I thought they were both brilliant in this game, personally. Attacking with pace against the back four, which our defenders weren't that comfortable with at all. Kwame Proku playing in the middle with Mason Clark on one side and then Joe Ward on the other. And then that pretty much led to the first goal. It was it was just attacking with pace on that side. If, if Ports were tucked in, then the Peterborough just reset the play. But whenever Pompey got on the ball, it was quite slow. The movement wasn't there. And like the last two games, I think the game was lost in the midfield. I didn't think the midfield three fit in this game. I, I really think that, I thought they missed Joe Morell. Overall, I think. Your boy Joe Morell was missing, Andy. He was he was definitely missing in this game. He's obviously stepped up quite a lot, hasn't he, recently in matches, being able to sort of dictate the tempo a little bit. And also I think what we were missing is his runs in the last few games where he's pushed forward from midfield and provided that extra sort of outlet up front. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a pity he took up volleyball briefly, isn't it? Otherwise, uh, potentially could have been a different result. In the Peterborough game, you never know. Uh, yeah, I think I agree there. He was certainly missed in the centre of midfield. And the way that we're lining up and playing under Moussinho, I think there's a lot of reliance on that engine room of the team. And yeah, for me, this maybe the first, what, 65-ish minutes of this game were quite a good example of how the games are going to look if uh, if that doesn't quite click and doesn't quite run the game as, as we had been with yeah, with Morel sitting in centre mid. So the first goal, ball comes into the box and I actually thought Clark Harris is offside, but it just seems that he was just drifting and wasn't picked up at all at the back post. And I'm not sure it's his fault for this goal at all, but Sean Raggett really looked off the boil in this game, didn't he, Freddie, when we were watching it? And we'll come on to see how maybe he gets subbed out into the next game. 
Yeah, I wouldn't put blame on the defence for Peterborough's first goal because I just thought it was a lovely cross into the box and a lovely finish in the end. Um, Poku reset the play really well with Cipriano from the outside. Poku cut in on his left foot, curved it round Ogilvy, and the uh, the cross curved in and went in between the centre halves and in a narrow gap. And Clark Harris, he just did some lovely movements in the penalty area, got away from one of the defenders, and he was on his own in the six yard box, and he was always going to score. Um, it was a 0.46 expected goals chance, so pretty much had a lot had a lot to aim at from there. And yeah, lovely finish, and it was thoroughly deserved by Peterborough. To be honest with you, I don't think I didn't think Pompey did enough in that half. Yeah, I think if you're if you're going to put blame anywhere, if we're going to do that, I think you have to look at Ogilvy letting him cut onto his stronger foot before the cross even comes in. Uh, he's definitely onside. It's, it's definitely not offside, unfortunately. I can see, yeah, first time viewing, I thought it might be, but yeah, absolutely no, no way it's offside. And uh, yeah, just sort of dissects the two centre-backs pretty beautifully in a very, very little little gap between them. And uh, yeah, a neat finish. Nothing you can expect Macy to do about that either. Um, yeah, I think if you're going to play the blame game, I think you probably go um, with Ogilvy, but it it's a pretty decent goal, I think. I don't think we need to really nail the team for every goal they concede. I think that's done too much in football, that every goal you sort of absolutely hammer someone. Um, I don't think that's really necessary for this one. I'm sure we could find you some do, other things. Do you disagree with the philosophy that every single goal is just bad defending somewhere? Oh, I'm sure various pundits would, uh, who are far more qualified than me would say that. But I think sometimes it's okay to say that was a, a moment of half-decent quality. And I think this was that for the most part. Talking don't at me. It. Don't at me. Please <laughs> I don't do care. That. Please <laughs> tell him. He would love to respond to all your messages in his inbox. At, but, Andy, um... at Dr. Andy Mitchellmore at <laughs> Oxford Brooks Uni on Twitter. Yeah, Sinclair Ground 19, if you want to come and tell me in person. It's, uh, you could, anyone could just walk in. There's no security. Well, there is security, but just, yeah, come and come and just tell me that I chat shit on the PA forecast. <laughs> Love that. Get, get, get Andy. Um, and then just before halftime, just a real, you know, sort of cause a bit of problems to Pompey fans. The, you get the penalties given away. It's a bit of a different one because I was fuming at the time thinking that it wasn't inside the box, but on second viewing it, for me, it looks like it is inside the box, unfortunately, just about. And I was speaking to a Peterborough fan after the game. And he thought it was a bit unlucky because he thought that basically he sort of miscontrolled it out. So he thought Zach Swanson could potentially have got a foot towards the ball, but as he sort of pushed it further ahead of him, he was thinking not maybe not necessarily intentionally. He's then just chopped him down, doesn't he? Just, just inside the box. And, you know, Johnson Clark Harris is a player who you expect to score from the spot. Yeah, it's inside the box. It's trailing leg. Striker, I can't remember whose name it is, goes down. Um, Mason Clark. Thank you very much, Fred. That's why you bring the actual information to the podcast. Uh, yeah, definitely a penalty. He leaves his trailing leg a little bit, knows what he's doing because he's he's moving away from goal. It's, it's a smart play from him. He does get caught. Again, no arguments really. And again, Macy, oh, it's, it's a frustrating one because he goes the right way and almost gets, you know, almost gets something on it, uh, which is a, a pity. Uh, he's such a big lad. When he goes the right way, he can pretty much cover that side of the goal from penalties. Uh, but yeah, it's a decent penalty right in the corner. And we're up against it, which is a 
something that became familiar over the last few months. Yes, Fred? I don't know what it is from me. I don't know if this is just me, but I thought it was slightly softer of a decision. Don't get me wrong, I've seen them given in other games, and if the ref gave it and I saw it on second viewing, I think fine. But I think the fact that Mason Clark knew what he was doing, saw the leg, Swanson also gets a tiny bit of the ball, and he basically just runs into it intentionally to get a penalty. It's a bit just left a sour taste in my mouth, really. Even though I've seen them given before, if referees want to stamp out that sort of thing in some simulation, they've got to be a bit stronger than that, in my opinion. I was just going to say, yeah, hate the uh, hate the rules, not the player. I think if if it works and it does week in week out across League One, League Two, the Championship, and the Premier League, yeah, I've got no issue with the player doing it because you you play the rules to which you're held, and if it's a way of getting a penalty, it's not a dive. Yeah, no issue with that. The problem is in the way that the rules are enforced, not with the player taking advantage of it. For me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I would. If it went either way, I probably wouldn't have, from a neutral point of view, I think if it goes either way, you probably don't moan about it too much. So it's one of those that there's a bit of contact. He sort of plays for it, but at the end of the day, you've just got to be a little bit more careful there, haven't you? And let him come outside the box because the ball's going away from goal before you put a challenge in, really. But that's just a little bit of eagerness, I think, from Zach Swanson. He's just trying to get stuck in and try and you know turn the game around when Pompey were really on the back foot. But... Going to the second half, and it still took quite a lot of time for us to get going, didn't it? I think up until sort of well, sort of seventy minutes, I think we still didn't really look like the, the the team on top. And you know, Macy had to make a smart save, didn't he, Fred? Yeah, very good save. I thought um, it was Mason Clark skinning Swanson at the halfway line. I think it was a counter attack from Ports of Corner, from memory. Um, Mason Clark did really well. Got it on his strong foot. Put in a very good low cross to Joe Ward on the on the other side of the penalty area. Takes the first time. Matt Macy, reasonable stave. There were some more chances. Mason Clark again on that left side, putting a, a lovely cross to uh, Taylor, who was at the who was at the back post. Pretty much six yard box, headed it wide. That was a very big chance. I think Weisgart had it as 0.38 expected goals, and then Frankie Kent balloons it over the bar inside the six yard box. Many, many big, high quality chances for Peterborough before the 75th minute and Pompey was struggling. Um, but it's the last quarter of an hour that left a lot of fans thinking what could have been, what result might we have gotten at the end? I'm just going to wade in and, and stand up for my man Swanson there. Uh, he got absolutely sold by Raggett and is in a difficult position in a split second there to know whether to commit to the challenge or not. He's gone from, yeah, one split second expecting to receive the ball and maintain possession to suddenly having to make a split second judgment call on whether to commit or not when we've gone from you know having the ball in a reasonably dangerous area to suddenly defending what like a two-on-two or a three-on-two or something because of one really poor ball from Raggett so I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for my man Zach Swanson there briefly on this one I think you've got the big controversy haven't you which is the the goal that never was what are we our feelings on this one? It's quite a difficult one. I saw in I think it was United were playing and, and Rashford got a goal and that was sort of Kivert is not interfering, even though another player is offside at the time. Do we feel, Freddie, that that goal should have standed? I mean, in the stands, I definitely think it should have done, but was Dane Scarlett interfering with play? I looked at the the replays of it. Was it actually given as a foul or was it given as offside? 
It was given us offside. He sure. gave, um, yeah, the referee put his hand up to, to signal for offside, I think. On reflection then, I personally, look, looking at the the view from where I saw it just on the iFollow replay, Scarlet level, it wasn't an intentional collision with the defender. It was just an honest run and the defender got in the way. And then from there it plays on. So really, if it were, if let's go for either scenario, if it was given as a foul, very harsh. And if it was given as offside, I don't see how the assistant referee let it go for two minutes before allowing allowing the play to develop. If he thought it, Scarlett was offside, I don't know why he didn't just give it. Because at very minimum, it was very marginal from where I saw it. I thought it was harsh. And given, in my opinion, the harsh decision on the penalty, it, 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 I don't like blaming referees for, for, for reasons why Portsmouth didn't get a result. Because, because obviously Peterborough outplayed us in this game and deserved to win anyway, uh, according to the analytics and from me watching the game. However... I didn't even, they, you wouldn't go with the butt, would you? No, you just had to pick I, a synonym. I, you I, had yes, to however, <laughs> if those things are, went our way, uh, we could have snatched a point and then the result could have been completely different. It might have been completely different in the end. And I liked the fact that Pompey fought properly for the last quarter of an hour. I hadn't seen that in a while. I hadn't seen that in that long stretch of poor performances, really. I think the only games I'm thinking of the top of my head was the draw against Ipswich at home, possibly. So that was nice to see in the end. We lost, but we didn't go away in disgrace. But again, in my opinion, a very harsh decision on the offside, personally. See, I'm in a slightly different position to you, Fred. I agree with your overall sort of um your overall judgment of it. I think he is slightly offside. I think if we had those stupid VAR grid line things. I think it would show him as being slightly offside his shoulder or something with the lean. However, Scarlett gets the metaphorical jump on their centre-back and is ahead of him when the two collide. And I think it's a foul on Scarlett for me. I think he gets ahead of his man as the ball's on its way in. He, It's not quite the same as the Rashford-fed one because yeah, he is really interfering with play like the, the centre-back obviously would get the ball if he's not lying on the floor. But I think the centre-back sort of puts his arm, his left arm up and Scarlett is there and I think that causes the collision. So I, I genuinely think it's a foul on Scarlett. The referee should be playing advantage to Portsmouth and it should be an equalising goal, uh, which, yeah, on the balance of the game wouldn't be, I don't think, a fair and in inverted commas loose as possible term result I think Peter Bridges did enough to deserve to win the game but yeah I think that's a foul on Scarlet and I think Peter Brewer have got off extremely fortunately there for me Got to agree with Andy there Let's move on and talk about the goal then Pompey pressed and eventually ball comes into the back post and unlucky for, for some but lucky for us Nathan Thompson kind of cannons off him doesn't it and goes in it's nice to see we tried right to the end. I think they're probably spurred on a little bit by the goal being disallowed, quite bizarrely, which no one seemed to work out in the stands. So I'm sure the players on the pitch were equally as bamboozled by what had gone on there. But there you go, Nathan Thompson, back playing against us, against his brother and own goal. And there's not really too much to say about that, really, is there, boys? It was very good control by Rico Hackett to, well, 
control the ball from the cross, bring it onto a strong foot, and then put the dangerous low cross in across the, across the pass here. I thought he did really well there, considering. I bet Mussinho enjoyed seeing that because I think he was playing in the game when Nathan Thompson got, um, who was it, sent off at Fratton Park for Oxford United. It was the um, Mowat red card game. Mowat, yeah, that's the one. Yes, yeah, where, yeah, Mowat, where Mowat yeah. missed the penalty, Thompson went up and shouted his face and then fell over as if he'd just been absolutely floored. In oh, the it, was, it was essentially GBH, Fred. Then it was also in my top five moments in Fratton Park in the last 10 years, to be honest with you, I think. Good but, um, God. <laughs> what think, does that say about Pompey's performances? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a damning <laughs> indictment of everything else, isn't it? But it was a wonderful moment for us all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, Mussino would have enjoyed it a little bit of a a revenge moment or a little bit of um, is it schadenfreude. Is that the right phrase to use here? I don't know. I'm going to use it anyway. A bit of schadenfreude um, for uh, for what happened back there. A bit of justice done. I'm sure someone will at me that I've used that in the wrong way, as I usually do. Um, Freddie, our dictionary corner died a death, didn't it, when we started getting all the definitions wrong? It's pretty much the only use of a dictionary is to do definitions. And when we stopped being able to do that, it became a pretty worthless segment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's fine. It's not like well, one of us is a journalist and one of us is an academic, is it? We don't need words in our lives. Well, I, I, I use words, but in my reporting, I just use the same words all the time, mostly. However, <laughs> and henceforth. I better use however. <laughs> Although. Honestly, when you mark work and then you can just see that some people have done like the Joey Tribbiani thing of right-clicking and going synonym, and it's like, henceforth, this lab report will discuss. And it's like, oh, you could have just said so. And I would have enjoyed it more. The lab anyway, report would have discussed. Bit of a tangent. <laughs> Trying to bring Dictionary Corner back, Andy. It's I'm a, desperate. It's a if Guess the XG has a spot, Dictionary Corner damn well deserves one. Well, speaking well. of Guess the XG, Andy's just introduced it there. That's the last bit of the game we have to do. So, excitement, everybody. We've got Hugh and Andy back. So, what was Pompey's total expected goals, quality of chances, in the Peterborough game? Decide on yourselves who goes first. Let's have it. Yeah, I went second last week against uh, Jack, so I guess I'll jump in first this time. I would say... I'm thinking pretty damn low. Um... I'm assuming this doesn't include the chance that was disallowed because it's technically that wasn't a valid. Yeah, part it, doesn't, of the play. it doesn't include this loud goal, no. Uh, so I would go 0.72. Few bonds. Oh, that is right about where I was going to go. Funny that. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm now trying not to be a dick, but. Yeah, right. I'm going to do it anyway. 0.7. Yeah, Hugh Bounce has done it by just going slightly under where Andy's oh! score was. <laughs> Pommy's expected goals in that game was 0.6. The biggest chance was the cross that pretty much it, 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 one of the first chances of the game where it was a long throw, the ball was flipped on, and it went off uh, Towler's knee. And went wide. That was Pompey's highest quality chance throughout that game. And really, the only other interesting metric in that game was Portsmouth's pressing was just simply not there. You could tell from watching it. But the passes of our per defensive action was fifteen point one, which is very high and sitting very deep. There was a period in the game where it's six point three, 
in the 61st and 75th minute. But that's it. They didn't control enough of the game. Peterborough had a lot of play in Pompey's penalty area. And yeah, that is pretty much the entire game summed up, I think. I hope you're proud of yourself, Hugh. I am. Just to see you shaking your head miserably made me very happy. I wouldn't say it wasn't a miserable shake of my head. It's a judgmental shake of my head. <laughs> judgmental, miserable. It's all packed into one. I'm, so I'm we'll not mad, on. Hugh. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in you. I thought thought you were better than that. That's okay. That's, that's the lecture. Do, do, do you remember the standings for Guess the XG, though? No, you, you're the host, Fred. That You've is got literally your job. <laughs> I'll, have to go, I'll have to go back for all the shows. When you're blimmin', when you're on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you don't see whoever, Chris Tarrant, Jeremy Clarkson, being like, oh, do you know what question you're on? Do you? Like, that's not a thing. You're in charge, Fred. Take control. I'll have to go through previous episodes. And fi- and it's fi- embarrassing. And there, there are different points of the episodes as well. It's going to take me ages. That's a long Sunday job. Yep, listeners will be demanding it, Freddie, so get your shit sorted out and move on. Yeah. Talk about moving on. Let's get on to the next part of the show. We asked you a question. We said, are you happy with Pompey's transfer window additions? Thanks to everyone who missed in. Again, really makes the show. I'll start by telling who they are. So Riley Towler in from Bristol City. Matt Macy in on loan from Luton. Deshaun Bernard in on loan from Man United. And Paddy Lane. (laughs) Distracted now by (laughs) Andy showing me his hamster. (laughs) In on a permanent for a reported two hundred. Can, we, can I just clarify that that wasn't a Fleetwood. euphemism? Can I? We need to clarify that that wasn't a euphemism. I mean, the literal. No, so it was an actual rodent on screen, so it's fine. He's not making any noise. I can't. No, she's not making any noise at all. <laughs> right, let's get back into into the show for after hamster watch, which is always appreciated. Mazzinio's moose messaged in, and he says. On an individual basis, I like every deal and I really like the potential of the permanent pair. However, if you're comparing it to the reason Cowley got sacked and the playoffs were still achievable despite what I and most fans felt about the playoffs, you can't say it was a good enough. Do we think then it's fair to say on an individual basis they're looking decent, but maybe Freddie not quite enough to push us towards the playoffs? That's Pretty much my opinion, actually. It's changed slightly because I've got Transfer Marked Open, which is a very good website if people use it. It's listed every single transfer this January for League One. And just having a quick scroll down the clubs, we've definitely done better than some in terms of additions. Um, Some clubs barely bring in anybody. Some clubs only bring in loan players and they haven't added permanent signings. So So it's not just... Lonemouth FC, like I, like I've seen some people tweet, I suppose. But really, there is the elephant in the room. Even though we brought in, in my opinion, quality players who will go over, there was the Giovanni Brown situation, who was linked with Pompey pretty much all day, right until the last minute. And arguably, he that signing would, if it was, if it went through, that would have tipped. Pompey's January from a good January, I think, to a great January. Obviously, Exeter City priced him quite highly. His contract expires this summer in June, according to Transfer Mart. And essentially, they put up the fee fairly high, reasonably, to a player who has six months left on this deal. Now, you could look at it and say, well, Pompey is sensible. Why would they? spend money on a player with six months left of this contract when they could sign him in the summer for nothing, aside from the sell- aside from the signing on fee. 
Or you could look at it and say, well, if you leave him, you're inviting other clubs to bid for him in the summer if he goes for nothing. And you're not going the extra mile for promotion, which is what the club essentially promised when they sacked Danny Cowley or when Andy Cullen said, this decision, this new manager is done for promotion. Then they backtracked it immediately saying it was a long-term appointment. So from that point of view, they didn't go the extra mile because I thought Gerardi Brown would be a great player, but it's still a good window. It's still a great, solid window. I like the permanent signings that have come in. And with Deshaun Bernard on loan from Manchester United, his contract's also expiring in the summer. So you kind of got a first look and you've got five months to potentially, if he's good, persuade him to sign permanently. And that signing would also fit the model that they're going down. But yeah, a good but not great window. The, um, the the permanent signing of, of Deshaun Bernard, um, the current, you're talking about transfer market, their current estimated value from is 3.5 million, Freddie. To be, so, fair, <laughs> to be fair, with transfer marks, their values, I have it on good authority from a lot of people that they're nonsense. That's literally just some bloke in a bedroom literally setting that up. Whereas with the contract expiry, that's linked with the actual agency. Why is he in his bedroom? Why is he in his bedroom, Brad? What are you thinking about? (laughs) His basement, actually, according to Freddie, when he last visited him. (laughs) It's actually Fred doing it. (laughs) That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. A little bit on the side, Fred. I I do actually agree, though, with the point about trying to wait to get someone in the summer. Because what happens when someone's on a free is inevitably the player can demand better wages and more clubs come in who are interested. So you have more competition for the player. You might have to overpay him to outbid other teams as well who will come in for the the striker on a free contract. So it's not really always that that you know that financially sound to actually wait until the summer when they're on a free. And Pompey have, sh- have shown they they signed players with six months less than the deals before. I think Denver Hume was like that when he was signed. I think he only had six months left at Sunderland. But Pompey Pompey had a need at left wing back, and they filled it. Now, the difference in this scenario is that Sunderland wanted Reid, obviously. They wanted Reid of Deverhue. They didn't think he was a good player. He wasn't playing a lot. Whereas Javadi Brown was is obviously playing for Exeter pretty much week in and week out near enough. So that's the only difference between the two. That's on the centre-back debate that we haven't started yet, but I'm going to start. On that classic centre-back debate, do we think the bringing in of Towler and Bernard will raise alarm bells for Sean Raggett's position in the starting eleven, Or do you think that having Towler age 20 and Bernard age 22 is just too much of a young partnership, meaning that Raggett is probably going to start alongside one of those two with the other one being the backup centre-back? I think it's quite difficult to, to say that, but age for me isn't really going to be the huge issue here. I think Towler's got some experience, you know, playing him in League Two. He's looked good for us. He does. He looked composed on the ball. He's not looked like his age has really got anything to do with his performances as well. And, you know, Deshaun Bernard played last season in the Championship as well, you know, 20-odd games. So, for me, it's experience there and pedigree. So, for me, the, the alarm bell should be ringing there for Sean Raggett, I suppose. But we all know what injuries happen over the season as well. So... And the only other thing to say, I suppose, is that, you know, how match fit is Deshaun Bernard? Or is mm. it going to be a case that he needs to come on a bit and, you know, get some reps in before he's ready to start? Yeah, yeah. Bernard was set back by injury this season. That was one of the main reasons why he wasn't loaned out to start with. He, retur- he returned 
to Manchester United, uh, that the, the game we played was a friendly against Khadiv uh, on December 7th, 45 minutes. Played a couple of friendlies, a couple of Premier League two games since. Pedigree rise, I think it's a brilliant loan to bring in, but it could easily turn into another Hayden Carter situation where you're plugging the gap for five months and then you're looking for a similar player in the summer. I think Hayden Carter did a good job, but I think the situation, I agree, is, yeah, not ideal. With the age thing, yeah, to be fair, I mean, I know it's a bit of an exception, but I mean, Matt Clark was, what, 22 when he was leading our line? I think, what, was he 23 when he left us in 2019? And he was, yeah, arguably leading the centre-back partnership with, you know, someone like Christian Burgess, who age-wise was his superior or his elder statesman partner. Great message, and he says, I'm over the moon with Harry Lane. He's someone I wanted to see in our shirt. Doors is a good deal for us. Happy with exits, happy with incomings. We all would want more. We would want more. Poppy fans always want more, don't we? Let's be honest. And there are reasons why we, we want more as well. However, Paddy Lane, let's quickly get to him as well now because I saw some people starting him on the left hand side in these sort of lineups with Dale playing on the right in the three, but. I mean, Paddy Lane, from what I know, also is more of a right-sided attacking winger uh, who likes to cut in on his left-hand side So, and shoot. be interesting to know, Freddie, where you think Paddy Lane will set up and whether we sort of switch Dale to his off-wing and or whether we sort of put Paddy Lane, because he is left-footed, onto the left and try and get him to put more balls into the box. Uh, I had a look at Scout for where Paddy Lane usually plays. This season, he's mainly played on the right side. His production this season has been a bit off compared to last season where he had his breakout season. This season, one goal, zero assists from 0.99 expected goals and 0.34 expected assists. Last season, he played in a mix. He played as a left winger, a right winger, or sometimes as a wing back. And in that season, he had five goals, seven assists in all comps from 2.87 expected goals and 3.74 expected assists. And those stats... And those performances had him linked to a two million pound move to Brighton. And knowing their transfer history, any player linked with Brighton is usually quite a good one. And he also became a Northern Ireland international in that time. I think it's a great signing if they play him on the left because that's a need, isn't it? He's a very tenacious dribbler. His dribbling stats are good this season and last. Crossing reasonable fairly pacey from what I've heard and it's good that the club have essentially invested in the pl- in a player that fits their mould 21 going to Andy Moon quarter of a million pounds with add-ons on top I believe on a three and a half year deal solid investment I don't see a lot wrong with this signing at all I really like it personally it seems a bit weird that he's fallen out of favour at Fleetwood Town after having such a good year last year and then it just sounds like Scott Brown just hasn't given him a run of games to really establish himself in the starting eleven. From from what I've read from Fleetwood fans after his departure, they all seem slightly confused as to why he's just not fitted into the Brown mould of Fleetwood Town football. Uh, maybe, I don't know, do you think he's too much of a pretty player for Scott Brown's shithousing Cod Army or I don't know he's he's certainly not a player in Scott Brown's mould from what I've seen so maybe that's been the issue I don't know I've seen Fleetwood fans talking about it from a level of 
he was a bit sort of maybe on that sort of technical, as you say, sort of player who maybe isn't that sort of defensively responsible in the same way, which doesn't really bother me if he's playing in a three up front effectively as a wide attacking forward with three centre mids behind him. But I think it was a case of him falling out with him and then Scott Brown just being stubborn and not letting him back in the team. So we don't obviously don't know the ins and outs, do we, of what's happened. But you know, last season is a proven pedigree. You can score goals, you can create goals. And I think he's the kind of player that we really desperately need. Uh, Fleetwood also switched a fair bit from a back three to a back four. So really, when Fleetwood are playing a back three, would you really have him as a wing back? I certainly wouldn't. He's not that sort of player. You'd probably have to have him in a front three. Like, for example, if they play a three, four, one, two, would he work with one of the two up front, say with Mendes, Gomez and Morton? No, not really. Would you play him as a 10? I don't think that would suit him either. So it might also be just a formational thing of when Fleet would go free at the back, that there's no real place for him. So that might be another reason why he's played less and his uh, form has dropped a bit this season. Nigel Lawrence messaged in and says, clear to see what Hughes is bringing to the table. Good business, but clearly with next season in mind. Do you think it's fair, Andy, to say next season really should be in mind right now? Is it time to build for next season? Or is there a sniff of hope of the playoffs still? Let's be real. I did a rant about this about a year and a half ago, how we always talk about next season and it's always it's always next season and never this season. So if anyone wants to go back to sort of episode, what, 117 or something and, and listen to me lose my temper, then feel free to crack on. Uh, so to try and answer that without repeating what I've said previously, for this season, I'm really in a position now where I'm trying not to think about where we're going to be at the end of the season, which is a really weird thing to do as a football fan, uh, because I don't really know how these signings are going to bed in. And because we've got the new first team coach and we've seen a bit of a mixed bag over the last three games, where as Freddie mentioned earlier, even the last 15 minutes of the Peterborough game left a bit of a what if taste in your mouth. I don't really know what to expect for the next few games. So if you ask me that question at the end of Feb, I think I will have a more categorical answer for you. At the moment, I'm not really thinking specifically about this season or next season. I'm genuinely just thinking about February because I don't really know what to expect over the next few games. Fred, are you on the same page as me in that respect or are you thinking a bit bit differently? Like you, Andy, I'm a bit sick of thinking about always thinking about next season rather than the current season we're in. Um, we've been uh, we've been told to do that so many times, and it might be a case of another long rebuild in the summer. And how many times have we said Pompey needed a rebuild in the summer? We said that multiple times. I think really Pompey have to prove it. I can't back them yet. I know there are players coming back. Who's mentioned in the news today that that. There might be a return date for Lowry, thank God. And Rafferty might be close to coming back for right back as well, which is reasonable, adds more depth. But in a few positions, I don't think there's enough there. In the case of injuries, for example, if Bishop goes down, I think that's playoff hope done, in my opinion. Centre-halves, I personally would think I would want Bernard in the side against Barnsley if he's fit. I would immediately put him next to uh, Riley Towler, basically just because of Joe Raggett's performances recently. 
not necessarily the last two games after Peterborough, but the bad form beforehand. If Bernard or Tyler Tyler go down, then you've got Robertson, who is still not back. You might have to switch Ogilvy to centre-half and play Hume at left-back. If Morel and Lowry aren't fit in the three, then a three of Thompson, Pack and Tunnicliffe, I don't think that's... That it's not box to boxy enough for me. It, 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 it doesn't support the front three enough, and I just think the side is not as good as other sides. Even though looking at the January windows, Portsmouth have had one of the better ones comparatively um, in terms of building for the future, and I think the quality that we brought in. I think so. Uh, obviously, our signings aren't as sexy as say Fleetwood splashing cash on Marriott and Stockley up front. But for the long term, Portsmouth are set up better than that. The and same kind of, Stockley, the same Stockley who scored like one in twenty-seven or something. Yes, exactly. But it, but I think he's turned into a, it's turned into a name, hasn't it? At the moment, uh, from memory, I'm trying to think of other big big signings that have come in. I believe, obviously, there was Bolton signing Victor Adeboyeju, who was one of the top top scorers in the league so far. They brought in Randall Williams, who I also really like, and. Other moves off the top of my head that I really liked. Charlton bringing in with Corley Bond. Corley Bond's proved he could score goals at this level. Did that at Ipswich. Um, I know Nathaniel Ogbetta moved on loan somewhere. I can't remember who it was. Bear with me. And then you've got obviously Ipswich bringing in Nathan Broadhead, George Hurst bringing in a centre mid like Massimo Luongo, who could sit in the field and cover everything. There are sides who have done. Slightly better than Portsmouth, but Portsmouth by no means have had a bad window. I just don't think it's enough to move the needle for the playoffs enough. And that's frustrating for a lot of people. I think that's fair, Fred. The the real benefit of sitting 11th in the league is we weren't getting poached by championship clubs because none of our players have really earned it over the last few months. Every cloud, right? Oh, yeah. And I found it a lot better. It's Peterborough. I, I, I finally found them. I scrolled down the list. And they also signed Kabongo Shimanga initially on a loan from Chesterfield, but for a permanent deal, who scored a shed load of goals in in the National League, even after Hajimo Minoga had his life on toast with that tackle, if you remember that one. George Slatcher messaged in and he says, I'm happy with the players we got in. One thing I'm not happy about is the news dropping that Michael is willing to spend on the right players and Cullen coming out saying, the eyesness of Bactus. Like, am I missing something? Or are they taking us to right mugs? I think it's interesting to, to, to how you view it, really, isn't it? Obviously, we paid a bit of money there for, for Paddy Lane, who we've bought in, and we've already gone through, so I won't go into the details again. But if you're going to sort of load up, I think it's the phrase, for promotion this season, like some of the top teams have done, the Ipswiches, the Wednesdays or whatever, we haven't done that, have we? And that's quite clear to see. We haven't sort of gone all in, have we? We've sort of taken an opinion of improving the squad but not really going all in for promotion. And maybe when you're sitting 11th in the league, that's the sort of sensible sort of plodding along <laughs> sort of philosophy. No, no, not, not every top team has added loads in January. Um, Sheffield Wednesday have only brought in Aidan Flint on loan. That's the only incoming they've had. But they are already loaded up. So. Yeah, they're already loaded up already. Yeah. Exactly. They haven't, they haven't necess- they've got a strong side already. 
Hugh, what you're you're talking about there sounds almost like you're talking about building a wall gradually, sort of one constituent <laughs> part at a time. Maybe some some mortar like substance placing oh, one if of you, them. If, if you say that word, I'm by another one. I don't know. Is that is that the the sort of angle you're looking at there, Bunce? I mean, that's the angle the club are looking at. It seems to be for a certain level, you know, one strip of paint at a time, but. I think at the same time, we've made some sensible additions. The team's definitely got better. I know some people were moaning about us going and getting players on loan, but I'll be honest, on deadline day, I was looking at it going, I just want to see some better players playing for Portsmouth this season. So when I'm going to games, at least it's a little bit more fun to watch. But I think it's fair to say that maybe the, the rhetoric coming out of the club is is misplaced. Maybe The, communi- the communication's poor, isn't it? Yes. It's, maybe it's, it's bits messages between the CEO and basically everybody else it's like that the comment of wanting promotion when Cowley was sacked and then immediately as soon as Pacino signed saying oh this is a this is a you know an appointment for the future it's just it's the contradictions constantly that are annoying the fans a bit and on the loan transfer thing I was slightly annoyed to start with but if, to make you feel better just go on transfer marks look at all the clubs and their January business the majority of them are loan players and the majority of them are They've got max loan slots like Portsmouth have. I know other teams might have more sexy loan players like um, Charlie Kirk at Burton. I thought that was a really nice loan deal. but it, And it is frustrating. For example, Deshaun Bernard, if he's really good, he could turn into next Hayden Carter. Matt, Matt Macy might just go off or we might not sign him if he, if he proves to be good. And then you, have to, then you have to go back to the drawing board again in the summer, which is frustrating. But other clubs are doing it as well, and almost to a to a more aggressive degree. That's twice this week, Fred. You've talked about things to do with deals being sexy. I don't think I've heard you say that term in 173 uh, previous episodes. I'm I'm intrigued by the uh, sudden I'm full, change I'm full, in. Um, I'm, full of, I'm full of surprises. In in uh, what's the words in sort of lexical or lexicon or whatever the word is lexical choice. If you want to hear more about Freddie's sexy surprises, ask him down the brewery this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's a welcome addition to your vernacular, Freddie. I'm I'm very pleased to hear it, and I will be very, very, very definitely asking you about your sexy choices in the uh, in the brewery this weekend. Remind me. Barney messaged in, and he says seven out of ten. If we hadn't been teased by Brown in hack it out rumours, it would have been a higher. Still think we need another winger. Ultimately, time will tell. And we won't be 100% sure until the end of the season. I think that's fair as well about the Giovanni Brown thing really just got people hyped up, didn't it? And then when you, you know, sort of like wheel of fortune, here's what you could have had. And then just wheel the boat back out again and you leave with nothing situation. If you hadn't seen it in the first place, you're probably not going to get upset. You haven't been given a massive ocean going yacht, but at the same time, we were offered that and a little bit of glimmer of hope, I suppose. But I think the thing with this this deal is, look, as I said before, you don't want to wait around to get them on a free. However, Exeter are a pretty shrewd club. I remember Gabe Sutton talking to us about how they run the team and how they will sell players if they think that the value is hugely overrated and you know way more than it should be. Then they're happy to sell players on. So it's just, are the club willing to pay more than players are worth in order for us to make a push this season? And it seems like the answer is no. Yeah, I think your answer to that is, is Brown currently in the Portsmouth squad for the Barnsley game? Not not as far as I'm aware. 
but it's I'm I'm a little bit sad after last week. I said how much I enjoyed sort of colour scheme player surnames. It almost almost made its way to Fratton Park unexpectedly. That uh, interesting to see that uh, Harvey White has gone to Derby. I don't know if that was one you mentioned earlier, Freddie. Uh, uh, who, you're shaking your head. So Harvey White, who was uh, at Fratton Park for a while with Kenny Jacket um, from on loan from Spurs, he's now at Derby County till the end of the season, which is an interesting pickup, in my opinion. Poppy Kong Murchison, he says, was a very predictable January transfer window when considering the previous few since we got back into the league. On paper, you think we look stronger with the two new centre-backs replacing Morrison, Lane for Coroma and Macy for Griffiths. But time will tell. Would have would have liked another winger or a number 10. I can see why people are upset regarding loans, but it lessens the risk if we don't work out. Coroma, Walker, Aziz. Imagine if we signed all those guys, guys. Plus, we signed good young talent for a fee, which is encouraging. I feel Lane is a better investment than Brown in the long run. It would always be going to be one or the other. Freddie, if you could have Paddy Lane or Giovanni Brown, who you pick in? That's a tough one. Without knowing what the fee would have been for Brown, I think I would say Lane, purely because over the next few seasons, he'll be better, I think, anyway. But the problem with Brown is you're effectively signing a different player, a different position. Giovanni Brown's in his prime and he's probably in the best form of his career as well. So you've got both there. If you sign Brown, you're probably at least going to get two, three seasons of a good striker who could also play anywhere in a three, which would help with Bish as well. So I understand why everybody was excited. I was excited. I would have loved Giovanni Brown to be signed. But quite simply, I think Exeter just priced Portsmouth out of it by probably quoting them a ridiculous fee that they were never going to pay. I do what I like, Meshton, and says two very good young players signed on long-term deals, decent keeper on loan, and a good young centre-back on loan. Excellent business. Well, I think it's fair to say. It's, good. it's nice to have a bit of positivity there as well. Cheers, Meshton. After John Meshton, he says Towler has been quality so far. Hopefully now he's got a decent partner in Deshaun Bernard, who won't look so shaky at the back. After the criticism he's got of other clubs, we signed Macy. But he's been amazing. Paddy Lane could be an incredible signing as well. I got to agree with all of that as well. It's just not quite enough, I feel, for playoffs. But then again, did I think we're going to get playoffs anyway? Probably not. So maybe putting that hat on. It's not really moved the needle, I suppose. But there's so many teams above us with more points. If you look at the teams in the playoffs... They've got to lose games as well as us willing, winning to, to balance it out. And it's quite difficult to see all the teams ahead of us sort of doing that, enabling us to get into the playoffs. A lot like last season with us and Bolton playing extremely well, chasing the pack, but never really getting there to take a playoff place. Well, that's why you've got to beat the teams above you yourself, isn't it? That's how they drop points is you take points off them. And that's why this Barnsley game on Saturday is so important because they're one of those teams that we do need to take points off because they're picking up points left, right and centre and are above us in the table and also have, uh, I think they've even got a game in hand on us maybe, or they've played the same amount as us, but they've got game in hand, games in hand on the teams around them as well. So yeah, it's that sort of thing. We need to be the team that takes points off the teams above us, not just hoping they slip up at MK Dons away or something every third weekend. Like it needs to be us that's driving it. 
it's about sort of taking like having a having a high locus of control like taking taking ownership over the rest of the season and not hoping that other people are going to do us favors i guess dr dykes mentioned he says the window hasn't been that bad it's probably not enough for promotion this season but from the league position we're in now that would be a herculean task we signed two good young players on the pitch i'm excited to see what rich hughes can do over summer window i think i think we've got to be real and it, it's going to be there's some nice additions. We signed a few players. Let's see what we can do now without huge amounts of expectations, put some good performances in, get some wins. And then I don't want to hear three transfer windows though. I'm going to put that out there now. <laughs> I want this team ready to go next season and being around in the playoffs. Yeah, I think asking the fans to go for another transitional season like Cowley's first full season, that's a lot to ask. That's, again, that would be a record seventh season in League One if we don't get promoted this season. And it's too much to ask. The expectation's there now. So I don't like saying about the summer already because it's half a season left. But the summer's going to be very big. Very big. And there's going to be a massive rotation because I think there's going to be a lot of players. There's a lot of players that are contracts off the top of it. Another record-breaking season on the South Coast. Something to look forward to, Fred. Nice one. John English messaged and he says, lads, I'm fairly happy. The club is doing what it said it would do by buying young players, etc. I do have a question about loans. Why do we never have a buy clause? I understand with Prem clubs it's different, but we should be able to buy Luton's second, third string keeper. I think uh, it's because clubs just like to keep all their options there, I think. And having even an optional clause, it just takes the power away from the parent club for the loan player and that's the main benefits of sending your player out on loan would I expect Portsmouth to put in a, uh, an optional buy clause for the for the lesser team for let's say Hadji Moga on loan or whoever no I wouldn't expect that at all so look at it from the other team's perspective and with Bernardi's uh, uh, contract expires in the summer so that clause wouldn't really fit there for obvious reasons Rich Mayer meshed in he says good window with future planning I think Lane will take Dale's place when he goes back and Towler looks an astute signing. Wonder if Raggett's time is up now. For most of the games, he could be an excellent sub to help shrug defence under the cosh. Add Marcinio and it's a good start for Hughes. Again, I have to see, what do you guys think at the moment of um, Owen Dale? Because there's been quite a lot of criticism of him at the moment, isn't there, online, Andy? I think some of it's a little bit unfair. And it's to do with his sort of finishing off chances and, and you know scoring goals and creating assists. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I'd agree that it's it's harsh. And for me, he's he's kind of created a rod for his own back by working harder at times than a lot of the players around him and actually being able to get into the positions to create chances, especially when he's played a bit further forward. He's cut he's come up quite central in a few games recently, rather than being stuck out wide. He's he's ended up being in yeah, sort of chance finishing positions in quite a central, good opportunity place on the pitch. And I think he's kind of created a rod for his own back by having the ability to do that. Because if he wasn't being quite as, I don't know, proactive, productive, whatever you want to call it, and getting into those positions, it probably would go under the radar and he could just do a solidish job on the wing and be be fine. But he's been one of our better players throughout the season I'd put it in him in the top handful of players this season and one of the real success 
transfers in again when you're comparing it with people you know other transfers like Karoma or Walker or Aziz or whoever he's been in sort of incrementally more successful than them and yeah I think I mean people pick a a target for a few weeks don't they and then focus on that player for that you know underperforming or perceived underperformance and then someone else will make an individual mistake in a game and the focus of attention will move on to them for a few weeks. And it's just a bit of a merry-go-round for the most part, I think. I think the attention will move off him fairly quickly. He'll he'll do something good in a, either this Saturday or in, or in the game following that will, you know, get everyone back on side and people will forget that they ever had this little spread of criticising him, in my opinion. I think Dale pretty much sums up where this team is. Decent, but not promotion-worthy. Looking at his stats, the last time he had a goal contribution was against Shrewsbury in December in the league. One goal, three assists so far, 2.15 expected goals, 2.66 expected assists. What I will say, though, when watching those games, in a lot of the games where Portsmouth were poor, Owen Dale looked like the only attacking outlet that Portsmouth had and the only bit of creativity anywhere near the side. So that's one thing. I was talking to my dad about this actually, and we were saying, "Would we? What would we think if Owendale came in on the permanent? Let's think of it this way." And we both had pretty much the same opinion, saying, "I think it'd be a solid signing. I wouldn't mind it, but would I be over the moon with it?" No, solid first team right winger, but with the expectation now higher because of the past failure. I think Pulse would need to go a bit better than that. I think. But solid signing. I don't think he's bad by any means. But the fact he hasn't had a goal contribution for a while and has struggled in some games, I think that's where the criticism comes from. Sort of a bit like all bark, no bite kind of thing, Fred. Yeah, pretty much. And do you know, you know what fans are like sometimes if they like um, if they see an attacking player run around a lot, but really not contribute as much as they should do, then that's where that's where it comes from. Um, Ryan Williams. Yes, yes. The Ryan Williams, the absolutely. The number of kilometres that man has covered, ne- never like to paraphrase Churchill, never in the field of human football has someone covered so many kilometres and contributed so little. It's incredible. <laughs> Love that man. But hey, do you remember when he played up front with John Marquis in a four-four-two? I try not to. Beautiful, beautiful. There was that little period where they played a pressing 4-4-2 and Marquis got so many chances because of Ryan Williams doing all the legwork. It actually sort of worked for a few games. Let's not relive that. Let's move on. Hugh, move it on. I don't want to think about this. This is a, a bad time in my history thinking about that. Mark Davidson sent us a question and he says about it's about the John Matinho appointment. He said, chaps, enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Having processed the John Matinho appointment, what I'm struggling to understand is how apart from having absolutely no managerial experience or established style of play, it's different to Danny Cowley. The club said they wanted a manager who was comfortable with the setup and working under Rich Hughes. Are they saying that Cowley was not comfortable with this? And that's the part of the reason he had to go? I understand the terrible run of form, especially saw the, towards the end for Danny Cowley, but Martino has actually no record whatsoever. He pressed return too soon. They are prepared to point a manager... Completely untested for the long term, inverted commas, but we're not prepared to give a pretty experienced manager longer. It seems odd to me. I think when we look at the the idea of was he happy to work under Rich Hughes, I heard 
Danny Cowley doing a an episode of Not the Top Twenty podcast with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, and he said on that that he's you know happy to work with the director of football as long as it's the right person and their philosophies meet together. Can't really see with what Rich Hughes is currently doing at the club that their philosophies would be miles apart, you know, so, as style. So I don't really think that that's the reason why. I think it was just bad run of results and needing a change, really. And they took the person they thought was best the job. Yeah, I thought the sort of the comment of being happy working under a director of football was more of a point of comparison with some of the other candidates for the job. Someone like, you know, a Chris Wilder, for example, who uh, who would potentially be less happy working in that position. Um, yeah, I think the main issue with the Cowleys towards the end was the whole, you know, the, the losing every match minor difficulty we were experiencing for a third of a season. I think that was the the largest pressing issue there. There is one other point, an unconnected point that I've just thought of. With the amount of money Pompey spent in January, do you think it's actually enough just on, just on fees and signings? Because really, if you're cynical, the 250k they got they spent on Paddy Lane, they got just slightly more from that from Joe Morrell playing in the World Cup. And then that leads to you thinking, would they go of the odds for Giovanni Brown to potentially get frozen? And then obviously that answers a no. Is it? Do you agree with the fact that this January could have been more than it was, even though it's even though it's reasonable at the moment? It's quite difficult to say, isn't it? I do think they could have spent more money if they actually believed that we could solidify and get a good playoff place. So despite all the hot air blown around that we want promotion and all that malarkey from the club, I actually think, like a lot of fans, they're not thinking we're going to get promoted this season or even get a playoff place. And so far, they didn't really invest in the team. Now, whether you think that that's right or wrong, I think that's really just on the level of where they thought the club was at. I don't know how many clubs around us have gone out and spent big money on fees. Not many people do in January. Let's be honest, apart from those sort of bankrolled clubs, the like of Ipswich, for instance, Bolton did well, went out again. And they've added to try and keep up, I suppose, with those few yeah. at the top. Yeah, Bolton spent about, well, according to transfer marks anyway, just over half a million pounds on Victor Adeboyeju. Obviously, Ipswich spending money. So step in about Victor Adeboyeju. He was a player I didn't really want in the <coughs> summer. He then went to Burton Albion, got played a lot of games. He didn't really do that much at Barnsley. They said he worked hard a lot, but couldn't finish. And then he sort of getting a lot of goals at Burton Albion. To play devil's advocate, Gasson Hadmi went to Burton Albion and did something very similar. Ended up going to Ipswich and did exactly what he did here, which is flop massively and end up back, back at Burton Albion. So we'll wait and see what how Adebayeju does, but he's just a backup really, isn't he, for Dion Charles at, at Bolton. And, that's quite an expensive backup, isn't it, to sign? I think it gives you more fluidity with the formation you choose to to go with as well. If you've got someone you can bring in to the starting eleven, if you want to play, you know, say you want to have a, a one up at the top, one at the top system as your your go to. But you also, you know, if the game is getting away from you and and you know the the one up top is getting very very high getting very isolated or, you know, just not being a part of the game, you've got the option of sticking two at the top and bringing on a player of genuine quality. But 
it is still, yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment there. It is still a very expensive way of doing that. Um, it just, it depends what kind of club you want us to be at this point in the season. And I mean, that's just a, an argument that's age old, isn't it? We'll be having the same argument in 10 years time, hopefully in a different league. <laughs> I think other other transfers with fees, there was Ethan Erhaham going to Lincoln City for about £340,000. I think that personally, that would have been a great signing if Portsmouth pulled that off. Um, proper progressive box-to-box midfielder who, who, with a range of passing. If we maybe moved on a player like Tunnicliffe somehow, then that one might have made the side a little bit better. But yeah, it still feels to me that the communication about promotion, I think that's just, like Hugh said, it's hot air, it's nonsense. And that's a real shame because that that's for me, that is what Pobosal should be aiming for every single season. And if you argue that, oh, you can't sign young players and get promoted, I've seen we've seen teams do it. And arguably with the players we brought in, that fits that because they're good young players who are pretty much first team ready at this point and can kick on. They just we just need a little bit more. And I know that probably the Isis will shade away from any deal that's slightly overpriced by saying, oh, look at Wigan, they're, they're losing money hand over fist, they can't play their players and that type of thing. But the sad fact the sad fact and reality of it is, if you don't go out and slightly overspend and commit, you are not getting promoted. That's just how it is. Unless you go on a massive run like Blackpool did in the second half of the season and effectively just kick on or you have or you're like playing for Argyle and have one of the best managers in the league and a setup and can change the game with two tweaks and turn a draw and turn a loss into a draw or a draw into a win. And Pompey don't have the financial clout and they're not up there at the moment anyway with being able to turn those results as much. So I understand why some of the fans still think a lot of the rhetoric from the board is well nonsense, really. I think it's it's the way the the goalposts get moved a little bit, Fred. It's like you were saying there about how we were aiming for promotion, then we were aiming for the playoffs, and now, you know, brought in a new new first-team coach and the goalposts have metaphorically been moved again. I would genuinely prefer it if you have a, a director of football or someone who owns the club and says, you know, this was the goal at the end of the season and we haven't actually been successful and we're going to look into why that is. Rather than coming out and saying, oh, you know, we're going for playoffs and just saying whatever needs to be said in the moment. It's very political, isn't it? It's what you see in Prime Minister's questions from both sides of the house. I'm not making this political. You see it everywhere in politics in the world. Is people say whatever they need to say in the moment to try and put the best possible spin on it. And they just hope that no one else listens to any other interview they've ever done ever and then compares the statements. And I would, yeah, I'd rather have it that a say Hughes came out and said, yeah, we were aiming for the playoffs or promotion this season. It hasn't happened. That is a failure. You know, you don't even need to apologise because not every team can get promoted. But then to just come out and say, actually, now we're kind of, yeah, if we can hit the playoffs, great, but not the end of the world if we don't. It's moving the goalposts and it's kind of taking the mick out of the fans who have listened to all the other interviews and are actually comparing the statements between the time periods. We spoke to Ian from Tyke's blog. To preview the game against Barnsley on Saturday, which we're all looking forward to quite a lot over here. We discussed Barnsley's expectations of the season, whether the January transfer window additions at Barnsley, we're going to push them forward and solidify their 
you know, their position in the playoffs and also just how they're going to play against us on Saturday and all the usual malarkey. So here's Ian from Tyke's blog. All right, I'm here with Ian from Tyke's blog. And Ian, thanks for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Barnsley doing pretty well, aren't they, this season? Um, how are you? Ex- what are the expectations at the start of the season? And being in a playoff place, is that really good enough for the fans at the moment? Yes, I think I think we're probably exceeding expectation. Um, we had quite a few changes in the boardroom in the summer. Um, we had a complete re-fit, really. We had a new manager, new uh, coaching s- staff. We lost probably five of our best players, mostly to Luton Town, <laughs> who seemed to buy every everything to do with Barnsley. Um, and then we brought in 10, but they were all loans or freebies. So expectation, we were probably ho- probably expecting top nine, top 10, uh, with the hope of a playoff push. But I think our best summer signing has been the manager, Michael Duff, and um, he's got us in them playoffs. We've got quite a few games in hand. Uh, hopefully we can stay there, but it's we know in this league anybody can beat anybody. Yeah, and I actually follow your your results and fixtures. I'm actually in a Barnsley prediction league, by the way. Um, my ex colleagues now, since I've bolted and gone to a competitor, a lot of them are Barnsley fans. Shout out to Rich and all the boys over there, but who're probably listening now, ribbing into me, but. It's been a little bit difficult, isn't it? That win against Accrington was quite important, really, to get your playoff run back on track. And what was the reason for that sticky bit of form? A bit difficult, really. I mean, Michael Duff has said there'll be blips in the road throughout the season, and, he, and he's been proven right. November and December, we were uh, we had the tightest defence in the league. He won back-to-back Manager of the Month awards. Um, we were we were doing really well, and then just. Just I don't know whether we took the foot off the gas. We had Accrington away at Boxing Day, a game that 1-0 up. We should have just gone and killed the game. We didn't. We drew it. Uh, beat Fleetwood at home, but then we had a we, we had a spell of conceding five penalties in five games, and uh, which started on Boxing Day at Accrington. So we played Bolton, start a new year, big six-pointer, uh, gave a penalty away, Got the captain sent off as a result of a penalty, lost 3-0. And we just had a bad week. We, we then got dumped out the FA Cup at Derby and then went to Charlton. Their new manager bounced, hit us with Dean Holden and we lost 2-0 even though we'd had 20-odd shots at goal. So we just, I don't know, it just kind of, it's hard to put your finger on it. But like you say about the Accrington um, result, it was more about the performance. It, although it's 3-1, it should have been 6-7. or seven. We played really well that day. So I'm hoping we've snapped out of that little blip. I was a little bit sceptical about James Norwood and how he was going to fit in at Barnsley, but he seems to be recouping some of that form he had, didn't he, before he sort of went for the money, shall we say. So mm-hmm. how have you found him as a player and has he fitted in well in the dressing room? There's always a few problems with him potentially off the field, isn't there? Yeah, we've not had any issues off the field. Um, he seems to be, we've got a very young squad and I think he's helping a lot of the strikers, the other strikers out. Against Accrington, he had his best game in a red shirt by far. Um, I've, it's took him a good few months to get match fit. He's looked really, I've kind of said, he's more of an impact player. I think at his age, etc., maybe bring him on for the last 20, 30 minutes. But he's been basically playing for an hour, maybe up to 
for the first few months, he was playing like 60 minutes and then being taken off and he's gradually got longer. He can, he can have games where he just knows where the net is. And you think that, you know, if we had him four or five years ago, what a great player. But then they have other games where he just huffs and puffs and he's, he's a mile off the pace. So he can have a bit in and out. But um, against Accrington, he, he was superb and he was doing things that he'd never normally do, like chasing 20, 30 yards for the ball into the corner flag and stuff. So let's hope um, he kind of uh, kicks on from there, really. He's playing tonight. He started tonight uh, against Oxford. Yeah, we're sort of recording, what, half an hour before kickoff of your midweek game, which uh, we don't yeah. have this week. Um Last night, transfer window for, for the Football League slammed shut as dramatically as it always does. Um, <laughs> what was Barnsley's turnover like during the, the transfer window? Were there any big departures, big players coming in? How much sort of rotation have you you've been forced into basically through squad changes? Well, people going out has been mainly people on the periphery Michael Duff has clearly worked his squad out. There's players who, Jasper Moon's gone to Burton. He only had six months left on his contract. He's gone on loan to Burton. He was occupying a place on the bench, but never playing. Uh, Will Hundermark, as we've never seen the best of him or his best position, he's gone to Northampton on a permanent deal. Um, Jack Aitchison, who's a forward, he's gone back to Scotland for personal reasons, gone to Motherwell. So he, he didn't play every week. So I think Duff's kind of seen players who are thinking they're not going to play for the second half of the season. Let's create get, clear some wages, move them on. Incomings, um, we've had quite a we've we, we've had quite a bit of a jiggery around in the goalkeeping stakes because Jack Walton's gone to Luton on a permanent. He was the second choice keeper, uh, and we've loaned one of their keepers back. Um, to the end of the season, and then we just signed a young lad from Tottenham. But he's going straight into the under-23 squad as a goalkeeper. Uh, but the main sort of business really was um, we ended up getting um, Ollie Shaw. We got two strikers in. We were crying out for strikers, even though we've got Norwood and Cole and a few others. So we got Ollie Shaw on a permanent day, Kilmarnock. Uh, he's only 24. And we've got Max Waters on loan from Cardiff. Um, we haven't seen him play yet he's kind of he's he's trying to get up to match fitness so uh and then we've got john russell who's a young midfielder from huddersfield who played in the playoff final against forest last summer um he's probably the most exciting one of we weren't we didn't see that coming at all we needed a midfielder because we got a few injuries and to get somebody of that ilk i think on a permanent deal is really good business so overall we're quite probably exceeded expectations i would say you mentioned before we started recording of Barnsley's transfer philosophy, and it sounded very reminiscent of what Ports was trying to do, bring in with their young players. Could you explain to the listeners what that is? Because also, you mentioned earlier in the summer, it was mainly loans and freebies. Were fans a bit taken aback by that to start with? No, the, the policy of the board for the last four or five years has been, um, let's develop young players, get them from lower leagues, maybe for, well before... Um, Brexit, because the, the club have kind of said we've got a bit of a problem now under Brexit. We're trying to get players in and work permits and stuff now. That we were trying to scour Europe, scour the lower leagues, get some young talent in, develop them with a view to buy cheap, sell on high, and use that money to reinvest back into the squad. 
as we all know, that can be a bit hit and miss. It works sometimes, it doesn't work all the time. Um, so we weren't we weren't surprised when we probably, I mean, Michael Duff come from Cheltenham. We all thought we might have signed Alfie May, their striker. He was probably valued about, I don't know, anything anything between three and £500,000. We never went for him. I don't think we probably had the money to go and spend half a million. So expectation was, no, we, we kind of knew where, we know where we're at in that respect with the board. I was just going to jump in there and um, sort of bring it back to sort of on the pitch side of things for this season. Um, other than Peterborough, you've drawn sort of the joint least number of games over the course of the season so far. Does that represent quite an open style of football that the Barnsley tend to play? Or is that just a, a statistical coincidence? Probably a coincidence, I would have thought. Um, a lot of the, when we have had good runs, like I said, in November and December, we were usually winning by the odd goal. So we went to Peterborough on 2-1. Um, we, were, we were very tight. We went to Bolton, got a goalless draw in the league, went there in the cup and knocked them out 2-1. Um, so we've, we've been generally been hard to beat, but we're not free-flowing scoring. So we've, games have just been shaded either side by the odd goal. Um, so I would probably say that, uh, you know, we're not... <sighs> We don't put loads of game, but I just think that's probably just a bit of a, a, a bit of a fluke that we've not drawn that many games. I think you can protect the league, can't you? And you've got players like Mads Anderson playing at this level yeah. at centre back, who's an exceptional, exceptional centre back, really. I think I thought he was going to go off to the championship. I think he did pretty well to hold on to him uh, in yeah. the summer as well. But also some of your wing backs are, are quite interesting. You've got Williams, obviously, mm-hmm. if he plays a right back, and he creates quite a lot down that side, doesn't he? He likes a shot, but he think he's got quite a few assists this season. Should have had yeah, that yeah. to hand, really. Three assists, yeah, this season as well. So when Barnsley like to play well, it's not just about sitting back, is it, to protect the league? Because the wing-backs can push up, really, and then you sort of play a little bit of an offside trap to stop people progressing into your half. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we were a bit nervous in January whether Mads Anderson would be snapped up or uh, Jordan Williams. There was rumours of Port, uh, Preston were interested. I think that was just a bit of rumour on social media. But we're, we're, if we don't go up this season, then certainly Mads Anderson, I think, we're, we're, we're expecting... Um, some decent bids to come in and I, and I can't see us turning them, them down to be fair, but and he, he can play at the higher level. Like you say, Jordan Williams, he came, he was um, early on in the season. When he came back, we went back to this 3-5-2. He pushes on massively. Uh, I think in his first game back against, might have been against Forest Green, he uh, assisted um, for the first goal. Yet he will always be a threat and what we tend to do is when we've when we've been protecting leads, for instance, when I went down to Peterborough that night game, we played really well. Certainly first half, but second half when they got more of the possession, that three becomes a five. We have Luke O'Connell, who we got on a three, who's probably been our best signing this summer. He's been superb. He sits in front of the back three. It gives them loads of protection. And we can be very compact. Um, and we if we are 2-1 up, <clears throat> excuse me, we've got 15 minutes to go, we will dig in if we have to. Given the signings that are coming in January, do you think they'll help Barnsley potentially solidify a playoff spot considering where the team is now? Or do you think it's the team's just short? What was your opinion? No, I, I still think 
Michael Duff's going to need a couple of transfer windows. He's only been here since August. Um, any manager will be the same, won't they? They need to make. He's still making a mould in his squad. The, the biggest key has been getting a couple of strikers in. That will determine how we, how this second half of the season goes. And, and February is a big month for us. We've got six games, some very tough games um, tonight and at your place on Saturday, for instance. We've got Derby at home at the end of the month. It, oh, it's almost a make or break month. I think if, if these if if Waters and Shaw come in and can score goals, then I think we'll probably push. Uh, well, they've got the games in hand. We could be pushing quite comfortably playoffs. But if those transfers don't work, and we you know we don't score many goals, then somebody comes with a late run in the playoffs. We might just miss out. It, it, it's really a bit. It's a big month for us. I think this month. Yeah, it would be awful if one of those other teams came up with a quick, uh, a late run into the playoffs, wouldn't it? From, you know, 11th in the table, for example. Um, that that compact style you talked about there, is that what you're expecting to see on Saturday at Fratton Park? Or do you think you're going to come looking for three points to really stamp some authority on the playoff, sort of the push and try and create a gap between kind of the haves and the have-nots? I'd like to think we'd come and make a statement, but we've got a shocking record at Fratton Park. I think we've won once in... 21 games since about 1980, 81, I think. So um, it's a bad record. I think a lot depends tonight. I would have took four points in these two away games. I want, you know, maybe a win at Oxford and a draw at Portsmouth. I mean, if we win tonight, we obviously come with great confidence into Saturday. If we if we get beat tonight, I won't surprise if we do kind of, I'm not saying play for a point, but I'd take a point now, if I'm honest. Um, I've seen... Um, I know, I think apart from at the weekend, you lost at the weekend, you'd had a couple of victories, haven't you, with the new manager coming in. So I was like, oh, here we go again, a new manager bounce. We're going to suffer. We're going to suffer at the hands of it. Um, so I, I think a lot depends on tonight. I think if, if we could be buzzing tonight and go into Saturday relishing it, or we could actually go into it fearing it and just play it a little bit tighter if we don't get a great result tonight. I have one quick question on Herbie Kane. He was a player who wasn't necessarily playing as much in your starting lineup, and he seems to have got himself into that middle three now. I always yeah. thought he's quite a smart passer when he played for Oxford. And how how is he working in your midfield now? Does he just get keep things ticking over? He does. He he had a great um, season on loan last year at Oxford. Um, been a bit of a slow burner this season, um, but I, he's slowly becoming that kind of seven half out of ten, eight out of ten player. He's starting to just own that midfield a little bit better now. Him and Connell are key. They're working really well together now. But it has been a bit of a slow burner. And we paid a million pounds for him. And some fans are like, we're yet to see it. Um, but you keep forgetting he's only 24 or just 24. He looks a lot older. You think he should be bossing it. But he, and he can go missing in games. But generally, I think he's slowly getting there now. He's a bit of, bit of a slow burner, but he's he's certainly one of the first on the team sheet. It's going to be interesting because we're going to probably line up with a three in midfield as well, which is what we weren't doing under Danny Cowley. So I think whoever can take control of that mm. that three in the middle is probably going to come out better on top, aren't they, during this game? And whoever can, and if we can break you down in the middle, we're going to be able to create chances in behind. You know, I don't think yeah. your defenders is necessarily the quickest, but I think you've done a really good job of protecting in front of those, in front of the back four, basically. Well, it's not back four, yeah. it's back five. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and we, we're just, um, obviously Michael Duff used to play at Burnley and we've gone to Burnley and got 
Bobby Thomas on loan, who's an absolute six foot, whatever he is. He played his first game against Accrington, really comfortable on the ball. But we haven't got tons of pace at the back. So ball over the top is where we're susceptible. Uh, if you've got any pace up top, that can stretch us. Um, but yeah, I think midfield back will be key, definitely. All right, let's get into the little juicy bit. I would like to know, Ian, please, your score prediction for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers. Oof. I'm going to sit on the fence and go 1-1. <laughs> um, and I will say... Oh, goals. Our goals get spread right across the team. Um, I'll probably go for a midfielder and I'll go... I'll go Herbie Kane. He'll pop up with one. He's not, he's not a free-scoring midfielder, but... I. I'll go for him. Try and justify that million pounds to the fan base, yeah, eh? Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, so the uh, website is tykesblog.co.uk. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter's tykes underscore blog. Um, so yeah, find us there. Amazing. Thanks for coming on and yeah. go and enjoy the game. Don't let us keep you anymore. It's much appreciated, <laughs> all right? Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, well, cheers, cheers Ian. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Ian, for coming on the podcast. Let's see how they're getting on now. How are they getting on now, Andy, as we're recording this? Uh, 1-0 to Barnsley at half-time. Who scored, Andy? Sorry, Fred? Who scored? Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, let's have a scroll down, shall we? Uh, ba, ba, ba. It was... Oh, thanks, Oxford United FC. Goal, Barnsley take the lead. That's not a particularly helpful tweet. Uh, let's... Bobby Thomas scoring his first goal for Barnsley. There we go. All right, boys, how are we feeling about this Barnsley game then on Saturday? We need a bit of a bounce back, don't we, after the Peterborough game at home. I expect us to come out a bit better. So hopefully Joe Morrell in the centre of midfield coming back into the team, it probably help us a little bit, won't it? Especially at home. How are we feeling then, boys? Let's just do our score predictions on this game. Andy, I want to know your prediction, please, for the game on Saturday and any goal scorers. Awesome. Yeah, I think it will be a draw. I'll go with a one-all draw. This is not a, a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. I think one-all draw and I will go with Marlon Pack which is obviously going to be a worldie uh, because that's all he does. So Marlon Pack, free kick. Freddie, can you give us some of your sexy feedback, please? Who was your score? I was going to say one all, but I can't. We obviously can't match scores. So I will go for, I'll go for a draw as well, but a slightly more exciting draw. Uh, I'll go for a two all. I think Barnsley are very compact side and they'll be able to lock, lock, lock in lock it in if they if they manage to get ahead slightly but Pompey bringing new players they'll be a bit more excitement there so goal scorers I will go with Paddy Lane on his debut why not why not and another from Colby Bishop and for Barnsley I will go with James Norwood and Devante Cole I'm going to go a bit more positive I'm going to go 2-1 Pompey at home, I think they'll be happy when the, if it, even if it gets the one-one. So I'm going to go. We're going to grab a late goal, Colby Bishop, and before that, a goal from 
Riley Towler, why not? <laughs> All right. Andy, thanks for the podcast. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Lovely that you're back healthy again, Hugh. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, buzzing, yeah. um, buzzing for the weekend, buddy. It'd be lovely to see you all at uh, the brewery. Yeah, excited for it. Fredster, great having the podcast. Cheers, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.